0: hey. (laughs) Wow, the TV's up here. I'm like, hey, that's looking really nice. Um, I am a believer in Jesus. I struggle with anger, pornography, fear, and pride. My name is Dave. Thank you very much for that reception. When I was growing up, um, I spent every summer from about the time I was 3 to 18 on a farm in central Kansas. And we had a barn, you know, a small barn. You might call it a shed, or garage, but we parked trucks in there. We didn't park tractors in there. So, you know, you use your own imagination. Um, anyway, we had regular barn doors on that that we could open, but near one of the corners, we had a regular door, like the door that comes to your mind, it's supposed to be a rectangle. It's supposed to fit a hole that's similarly shaped, and you're supposed to be able to open and close it. Well, um, that didn't work. That door stuck all the time. Um, and I don't mean like a little bit stuck, like you could still easily pull it like, oh, I feel a little drag. No, I mean, it was stuck. Like you would, you had to put a shoulder in it if you were going to get it to move anywhere. And you know, it was that way for a long time. And if you don't know, there are usually about three things that can make a door stick. Okay. One is there is a physically an irregularity between the door and the frame, right? Somebody measured it wrong. It's cut wrong. The second one is, especially in the summer when there's high humidity, because it's wood, it's a living or used to be a living thing, um, it can swell up, and so doors can change size because of humidity. Well, this was none of that. It was cut properly, and it didn't matter whether it was summer or winter. That door stuck all the time, so it could be 14 degrees outside, and that door was still going to stick. Well, it turns out that one weekend or weekday, it really doesn't matter because I don't remember, but... We tried to look into it. We're like, what exactly is wrong with this door? Why is this door so hard to open and close? Well, it turns out that one corner of that building, um, the whole thing was built on wood, uh, like stacked two by fours, kind of built up the, the lower perimeter or secondary foundation, however you want to say it. And there were two boards in there that had rotted. And so that corner of the building had fallen. And so now the building isn't square anymore, right? So there wasn't really a problem with the foundation because it was concrete and there weren't any cracks in it. But we had these rotten boards. And we had to end up knocking the rotten boards out and replace them with new healthy boards. So what am I talking about with this old barn? Well, just like that barn, our lives are built up in layers, right? We can have certain things that are built on top of other things on top of other things. So the way that the roof worked, you know, it had to sit on top of the walls. The walls had to sit on top of these, uh, I'll say, framing boards, framing foundation, pick a word, and then finally to the concrete. And so in principles, just like, just like that, we're built in layers. So in principles one, two, three, one through three, we learn to accept that we have built rickety buildings of our lives, at least portions of our lives, um, We've done that. Like, there are certain parts of our lives that we've had a hand in constructing. And we learn that Jesus is here to help us get rid of and to manage those things that we have built up that are not working out so well. But that said, even Jesus referred to himself as the solid foundation, right? In Matthew seven twenty four and 25, he says, anyone who… Oh, look, it's up there. That's interesting. All right, I'll look over here. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we we get a new foundation. The sand we used to be building upon gets replaced by the rock. And so we can stand in relative confidence that the building, my life, is going to survive. I am going to survive. But that doesn't mean that just because my foundation gets replaced, that all of my squeaky windows and squeaky doors and things that are open and shut in my life aren't going to still stick just like they did before that foundation was replaced. So our foundation at this point should be, or may hopefully be already, firmly set on Jesus for eternity. But because we we bring our own wood into our lives, and that wood has a possibility of rotting, we need to examine it. So, what door or doors or windows seem to be sticking in your life? What is stuck closed? What is hard to move? So, when we look at looking at our inventory, we're told to look at people and situations, places where others have hurt us, where we've hurt others, and those are sticky doors, right? At least in the context of what I'm talking about. So maybe our squeaky doors, maybe that's the reason why, uh, why we're here, right? And that's maybe even my fault. Maybe I'm the one who created my sticky doors. Maybe my sticky doors and my sticky windows have been caused by other people. Sometimes I bring them on myself, But regardless of whether it's me or someone else, it is all based on sin nature, and our sin nature isn't square, and it's not solid. It's not shaped correctly, and it certainly isn't impervious to rot. Now, in principle four, there we go, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happier the pure in heart. So we've seen this. But let's look at the fifth step. This is one we don't look at quite as often. This says, we admitted to God, to ourselves and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Now, there's two words that I want you to think about here, okay? One is that we're admitting the nature of our wrongs, not just our wrongs, okay? So stick with me. Because that's why we're talking about foundations. That's where I'm getting to with this idea in this admit lesson. Because we have to be ready for the next step. See, in in CR, whether you're discussing the eight principles or the 12 steps, we don't stop halfway in the middle. By getting halfway there, we're not done. There's something on that. And we have to make sure that we are prepared for the next step. Because if we don't do where we're standing right, we're not going to be ready to take the next one. Does that make sense? All right, let's go to step six or principle five. I forget which one I have for first. Okay, so I do step six first. That's fine. We were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character, right? So we're talking about the removal of character defects. And let's look at principle five. It says, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. So, notice that we're not here to say, hey, let's get ready to be forgiven, or let's get ready to submit to the forgiveness that I know is on its way. That's because our forgiveness has already happened. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven right then for all of it. Jesus made a one-time payment for all sins. So, once we accept that gift, We're forgiven. We get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and our foundation changes from sand to bedrock, right? But it doesn't instantaneously remove our character defects, right? We've replaced the foundation, but we haven't replaced the rotten boards. So that's why we examine our lives. Now, we need to admit our faulty foundations, right? Not the foundation, but my foundations, the things that I've built into my own life or things that I've let other people build into my life. See, my character's defect sits below the surface, but it affects all kinds of things in our lives. Just like that corner that was drooping, it was affecting the door. You couldn't see it, but you could feel it. You knew it was there, but you didn't quite know what it is, and it was only after examination that we figured it out. So I'm going to give you some examples from my life. You're going to get to hear some, uh, some me talk. So maybe the squeaky door of yelling might be a thing that comes to mind for you. It does for me. Great, I needed a place to start. But while the yelling or demeaning speech, it's definitely a sin, and it is worthy of confession and making amends. In and it of itself, yelling is not, and was not, a character defect. It was a symptom. It was the action that happened because of what was lying beneath. For me, yelling was an unhealthy coping mechanism for not feeling like I was being heard or sometimes feeling disrespected. I would yell to intimidate to get my own way or try and manipulate the other person. Sometimes I would yell to make my view seem more important. And sometimes I would yell because in that moment, I knew that the other point of view had some merit and I would rather yell than admit it. See, I didn't like to lose. So I would yell to try and manipulate the win. And in the throes of my anger and yelling, I was not a nice person. Far from it. And in my yelling, or raised voice, as I would call it, because admitting that I was yelling was just simply out of the question at that time in my life, I would alienate relationships from family and coworkers. So for me, beneath the yelling, the next layer down was an assumption of being disrespected or undervalued, and feeling like I had to be right, because I felt like, hey, I'm smart enough to see all the sides of this situation, and I can come to the best solution, and my solution has to be right, because if there was going to be a disagreement, it couldn't be me that was wrong, and the idea that there only had to be one correct answer, because life, to me, was more like a math problem. And so, do you see my character defect yet? I got one. So if you don't see it, here it is. It's pride. Everything was about me. What I wanted, how I felt, how I wanted to be right. I wanted to be seen as smart and competent. I, 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 I. So in the context of my inventory, sure, I have lots of opportunity to write about how I've hurt other people and how I did it and make lists of whom I owe amends and for the behavior to confess that. Um, for the pain and the division. But, you know, in the last lesson, Josh was teaching about confess. And we learned the importance of confessing our faults to ourselves and to God. And tonight, we're talking about admit, which is the the next lesson. And I'm not sure if you're like me, but at least on the surface, it feels a whole lot like confess and admit. isn't Isn't that the same thing? Well... I can confess my sin to myself and to God, right? And I can do that quietly. I can do that between me and him in a closet, alone, quietly. And I can also confess that to someone else. But what I want to draw on, our, on my mind, what I'm wanting to help draw you to, is getting to the point of determining what your character defects are and being willing to do more than confess your sin but admit your underlying character defect. See, what does make sense is that I need to dig down, I need to find that rotten board. For me, the first one was pride, and I need to ask God to remove that board and replace that board. God, please remove my pride. Help me be humble before you and before others. So, not only do I admit my sin to my sponsor, I admit my pride that lies beneath it. And I make note of that because that's what I know I need to be working on in my next step. So, you know, I get this. Now, normally in the admit lesson, you probably hear some delineation about confession being between you and God and admitting between you and another person. And that's not wrong, right? We want to be able to verbalize those things. And I can't downplay the importance of saying our inventory to another person. James 5:16 is clear. It says confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. There is a reason we're doing this. We're not making it up. It's not because it sounds good. It's not because it makes for three things and threes are oh, threes are convenient, right? It's not like that. It's there is a reason. God says if we do this, this is a thing that facilitates healing. And so we want that healing. So the thing is when I confess to God there's no new information that's being shared. See, God already knows everything. And most of the time, I also know everything because I know who's hurt me, and I know who I've hurt. And so my confession to God is kind of just kind of coming to terms with, hey, I agree that you know everything I know, and I see this the same way you see, right? And we can understand what that forgiveness is, but when we confess it to another person, We're opening the door. We're shining a light on what it is that God is wanting us to get changed, right? It's sharing that experience with someone here on earth. And when I share that, I get to share that, and that other person gets to reflect back to me the acceptance that Jesus has for me in heaven while I sit here on earth. Does that make sense? Am I making sense with y'all? All right. So, we want to make sure we're not just admitting our sins, but our character defects. Now, here is not a complete list of character defects. I, pulled, I did some research. I found more than 150. <laughs> so, here's just a few, you know, hatred, gluttony, gossip, lust, laziness, judgmentalism, intolerance. Let's go to the next one. Hey, look, idolatry. That's a good one. Um, resentment, Right. So, these are just some. You can Google character defects, and I guarantee you, you're going to find a whole truckload. And uh, it's a good thing to dig through those and try to use those as, as thinking points and reminders to go, is, is some of this me, right? Is, is this stuff make sense to me? So, we want this. We want that healing. We got to look at our inventory, and we want to end up admitting that thing to our sponsor. Now, Here's a couple of more quick examples, because one, that one might have been a little easy. Here's a, here's a little harder one, but no, maybe not. If you remember a few lessons back I was teaching and I was talking about in the moral lesson, I was discussing about being open, right? We want to open our boxes, we want to do that, we want to pay attention when God says, hey, go pay attention to that box. Well, I learned in that situation that underneath my general anger, because I walked around angry, I didn't have to be yelling, I was just angry all the time. Um, I had a core of resentment. Um, My resentment in that was my character defect. I was holding on to and unwilling to deal with the resentment of my dad. It was this hidden board at the corner of the room that I needed to find and replace so that my door to freedom from anger could be opened. Another one is I say that I struggle with pornography. See that was a symptom of feeling rejected and inadequate to receive love. Now, certainly, my idea of what love looked like was distorted. But I allowed porn to define what acceptance and love looked like, and I ended up up idolizing them in such a way that I derived self-worth from it. See, the door to healthy, real love and acceptance was stuck on the rotten boards of lust, fear of rejection, and idolatry. And I say that because I refused to let Christ define my worth. I let something else define my worth for me. I had to replace those boards so I could have healing, not just sobriety from the behavior, but healing of the things that were causing and leading me to that. But I'm still not sure that I'm ready to introduce myself by saying that I struggle with idolatry. So can I replace those boards alone? Of course not. But we have our higher power Jesus that can replace those rotten boards. When we get to our confession and our admitting the person we share our inventory with gets to be God's ambassador. They're his proxy in this process. That person gets the blessing of listening, accepting me here on earth exactly how Jesus accepts me in heaven, and they get the opportunity to show me the face of Jesus' grace right here, right now. And they get to remind me that I've been forgiven by Jesus Christ and fully restored, and I don't have condemnation anymore. I'm free of my guilt and shame. You can be free of your guilt and shame. So what does that help us with? Well, it starts to help us with our sense of isolation because sometimes when we hold these things in, we can feel isolated. But now someone else knows the things that are going on. They get to know what we know. We're not alone. We get to start to losing our unwillingness to forgive because I get to see that that other person can forgive me. I get to witness their face of acceptance. And it makes it easier for me later to pass my forgiveness along. We get to set aside our pride because I have to say all of the dirty, ugly that there is to say. So I can't hold on to my pride. So who should this person be? Well, at CR, you've heard me say it a hundred times. You're going to hear it again that your sponsor is the right person for this. Now, it can be your accountability partner. The point here is that you need someone that you trust to have your confidentiality. Because if you're going to share everything, you need to know that what you stay, say there stays there. right? Your sponsor is someone that, can trust, that you can trust to do that. Now, if you don't have a sponsor, I'll go through the quick things. They need to be the same sex. We don't do any you know, guys telling girls inventory. That's not safe. And they need to have completed a step study. Because how can someone walk you through a process they've never been through? So that's kind of your, your big things. Um, They are there. Their purpose is to pass along what they received. See, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, and I know Paige always goes into this, you know, um, that God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. Because when they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. See, they pass on what they received. That's the idea of sponsor-sponsee, right? They've been through this process. They received that same kind of acceptance from their sponsor, and now they're willing to listen to your inventory. They can pass that right back on to you. This is an excellent opportunity for us to pass on the comfort of which we've been comforted. They get to help us through that trouble, that difficulty of confessing and admitting. Now, as I close, um, I want to say a few words about our our sister Evelyn Koenig. This last Saturday, um, she departed from us here on earth, and she went home with Jesus to paradise to spend eternity with the Father. She's going to have a memorial service tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., and I encourage everyone here that knew her to be there, support David and the rest of their family as they walk through this time of grief. And I want to say some things about Evelyn's life. She had the serenity to accept the things that she couldn't change. As her disease progressed, she recognized that it was no longer her job to try and change it, and she had great serenity about accepting exactly how and exactly when Jesus and the Father would decide to take her home. She had the courage while she was here to actively work her recovery. She had the courage to change things in her life, And she had the ability to change and to work on. She leaned on Jesus, her rock, to help her with her storms of life and to take on her disease courageously until he told her that it was time to surrender. And in all of this, she had the wisdom to know when it was time to work and to fight and when it was time to rest and surrender. She lived all the days that I knew her one at a time, enjoying her family and friends, spending time with her CR family and serving them consistently and lovingly. She accepted her medical struggles and hardships with a peace and reliance on Jesus that we can look to emulate. She knew and trusted that Jesus would make everything right in due time as she surrendered to his will. And from all I ever saw in her, she was reasonably happy in this life. We now know and can celebrate her supreme happiness in her next life, alive and healed with Jesus in perfection, joy, comfort, and peace with the Father in heaven forever and ever. We will see her again, and we will join her in that supreme happiness. I'll have the band come back up. You know, this is our blue chip time. And what I want to offer you, is the chance to surrender. Um, I don't know what you need to surrender. I don't know what God is working on you on in your life. Um, Maybe you have just an obvious sin that you need to go, God, this behavior I need to give up to you. I need to set it in your hands. But maybe tonight in As I've described things, there is a a character defect that God has opened your eyes to to say, this is the next thing that I need you to be working on. And so now is the time for you to come take a chip. It's just a, a token of your surrender. You're handing it over to Jesus now saying, this now belongs to you, and I need you to start removing this from me because I know you're the power that can do it. So men take from men, women take from women.